So let's read of King Jesus, protector, guardian of his church, Revelation 1, page 1218, page 1218 in your pew Bibles, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1. This is God's word. May he give us ears to hear. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write there for the thing, therefore the things that you have seen, and that are, and those that are to take place. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Brothers and sisters, our text this morning is taken from verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, 
looking especially at that one phrase, and from Jesus Christ, the ruler of kings on earth. Normally I don't take just a short, short section of a verse like that, but I want to meditate especially on that title for Jesus, the ruler of kings on earth. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation is meant to be encouraging and comforting, but too often it is viewed as mystifying and frightening. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is that we don't know the Old Testament very well anymore, and 90% of Revelation is taken from 36 out of the 39 books of the Old Testament. Images, pictures, sayings from all over the New Testament. So the better we know our Old Testaments, the better we'll get the book of Revelation. But there's another reason that I think we misunderstand it today and see it as mysterious and frightening rather than encouraging and comforting. It has come to be seen today as a jigsaw puzzle to figure out what's going to happen in the end times. That's not what this book is about. It's a book to comfort us with the knowledge of Jesus Christ reigning over this world, holding the churches in his hand, and he's going to bring us to victory. It spoke to the churches back then in around 90 AD or whenever John wrote this book, probably around 90 AD. It speaks to the church in every age that there is a king of kings and lord of lords. And we're safe in his hands. And no king of earth and no power on earth and no trial and tribulation or sorrow or death can take away our place in the inheritance, our place at the tree of life, our place in the paradise of God. Sinclair Ferguson has said, remember, that really... The book of Revelation is the movie version of Matthew 16, verse 19, where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the movie version of that one verse. So here we have chapter one, an opening, an introduction to the great son of God, Jesus Christ. And he's standing among the lampstands, the seven lampstands, his churches. And he's holding the stars, the angels of these churches, in his hand. But we don't want to compartmentalize that and see Jesus as off to the side as the one who hangs out with his church. And he takes care of us. But for the rest of the world, he's not involved. No, the focus of his love and his work and his action is the church. But at the same time, the head of the church is the ruler over all the kings of the earth, over all the nations. So you have this broad vision of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we want to see comfort this morning from that phrase, that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings on earth. What does that mean? The ruler of the kings on earth. First, we want to ask the question, who is he? Secondly, who is this ruler of the kings of the earth? Secondly, what does that mean? And thirdly, how are we comforted by it? Who is he? This title, ruler of the kings of the earth, stands in the middle of several threes, triplets. The book of Revelation is not 
historical narrative. It's not poetry like the Psalms. It's not epistle like Galatians and Philippians. It's apocalypse, which is telling the truth of history in figurative language of symbols and pictures. And God loves numbers. And he shows that in the book of Revelation. He loves the number 12. 12 gates, 12 foundation stones, 12 pillars, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 12 times 12,000, the 144,000. 12. God loves the number seven. All kinds of sevens. Seven churches representing the fullness of the whole church of Christ through all history. Seven seals on the scroll. Seven trumpets. Seven bowls of wrath. All kinds of sevens. He loves the number four. The four corners of the earth. The four angels on the four winds of the four corners of the earth. How Christ has redeemed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Another four. And he loves the number of three. The number three. And there are actually seven threes in, in Revelation 1. I'll give you some of them. For example, look at verse 3. If you've got your Bibles open at Revelation 1, let's look at these threes. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep. The triple blessing, those who read, hear, and keep. And then the description of God in verse 4. And then again in verse, four, verse 8, two times. The one who is, who was, and who is to come. That he's ever present. That he never ages. He's always sufficient. And then look at verse 9, the threefold description of John. I, John, your brother and partner in what? Three things, the tribulation, the kingdom, and patient endurance that are in Jesus. And then Jesus' description in verse 19. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And then closer to our text. In verse 5, Jesus is described with this threefold description. That he's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. And then there's a threefold description of the work of Jesus. Look at verses 5 and 6. He who loves us, freed us from our sins with his blood, and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. Triple description of the work of Jesus. And then there's that main triplet in verses 4, 5, and 6 of the Holy Trinity. Grace and peace to you from one, him who was, is, and who was, and who is to come, and from Jesus Christ. And, or and from the seven spirits, which is also translated the sevenfold spirit, and from Jesus Christ. And that tells you who the ruler of the kings on earth is. He's a member of the Holy Trinity. He's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is eternal God who is worthy of all praise and honor and worship. He's the place to throw your life into for safety and security 
for strength in tribulation, for everything you need in every trial and temptation. He's the one, the place to go to. In the book of Revelation, the lamb sits on the throne with the eternal father and the seven spirits are before that throne. That's who Jesus is. And the question this morning, do you trust him and worship him as God? Or is Jesus just for you a magician who will do tricks for you? A nice guy that you can demand presents from. The false religions all talk about Jesus. He's a good man. He's even a great man. He's a great prophet. He's a good teacher. But only the Christian faith says he's God, eternal God, who also became flesh to take our place in our sin under the wrath of God to save us from our sins. And in him, your life is eternally saved, brothers and sisters, and eternally safe and secure. In your life, in him, your life is eternally good and blessed and full. And eternal pleasures are at his right hand. You have everything coming to you when you trust in him. Because you have God when you have Jesus Christ. So let's see that first of all. Who is this ruler of the kings on earth? He's God, a member of the Holy Trinity. Secondly, what does that mean that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings on earth? And there's six main things, six main aspects of this that I would like us to consider this morning. What does it mean? Number one, it points to his preeminence. Now that's a big word. Preeminence means he is the supreme king. He is the king above every ruler and every power in this world, far above every power and ruler in this world. He's the first. He's the highest king. There's no other, no other in this category of ruler. He's above all. In Revelation 19, we meet Jesus Christ as the rider on the white horse. And he's dressed in, his, in a white robe and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Ruler of the kings on the earth. And we may look at other kings and rulers and presidents and prime ministers and respect them and honor them and pray for them as we're called to do. But brothers and sisters, if our focus stays on earthly kings and rulers, we will never know the comfort of Christ, but always be shaking in our boots about what people on earth are doing among the nations they rule or what they might do. And we'll be nothing, have nothing but anxiety and worry and fear of the future. But we have to look past and above, and set your gaze on Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth, who has the supremacy. And their quaking and shaking become peace and quietness. 
Which leads to our second consideration. Ruler of the kings on the earth points to not just preeminence of Christ, but allegiance, allegiance. He's the only king who deserves and must receive our heart's allegiance and confidence and worship. We pray for earthly kings. We pray only to this king. Caesar demanded to be prayed to and worshiped, and temples were built in his honor all over the place, and it was required for every subject in the Roman Empire. No. No, Jesus is saying to the churches of Asia Minor in days of persecution and tribulation, no, Jesus is Lord, Lord of all. And the emperor can demand whatever he wants from you and you will obey him unless it goes against the rule and the law and the authority of Jesus Christ. And even when you do obey Caesar, you obey him for Jesus' sake, not for Caesar's sake. You look past him and say, I'm obeying you for Jesus' sake. And then when you must disobey him, you do so only for Jesus' sake. Guess why John is on the island of Patmos? We're told that in verse 9. On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's exiled there, most likely. Persecuted. Because his highest allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Now the kings of the earth love to have your full allegiance, people of God. But we will not give that to them. That won't help them. And it won't honor God. And it's not real. Because they are not absolute. Only Jesus Christ is. It stands for preeminence. Ruler of the kings on the earth stands for allegiance that we're called to give him. Thirdly, it stands for sovereignty. It doesn't mean that just Jesus is high above them. And he's first. But he rules them. He lords it over them. For his glory. For the salvation of his people and the destruction of the kingdom of darkness. He rules them. He controls them. And the rule of kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers and emperors is always under the rule of God's Christ, who is Lord of the nations. And he rules them in such a way that they can't do a thing apart from his holy will. And even when they think they rule the world, they don't. I think of Caesar. Remember that great story in Luke 2. Demanding that the whole world should be enrolled. And he's thinking to consolidate his own reign and power. But he's just a tool of King Jesus. Who says, I'm going to use you, Caesar, to be the instrument through which Prophecy is fulfilled. Christ is born in Bethlehem. And the kingdom of Christ gets its footing here in this world and destroys Caesar. Sovereignty. The king's heart is in the hand of God and he rules it as a water course wherever he wants, says the book of Proverbs. Closing 
let's bow before the sovereignty of King Jesus. And let's remember that whatever the kings of the earth are doing or trying to do cannot undo or outdo what God is doing, what Christ is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing. Can't undo what God has promised and planned for the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the other way around. God will always use it somehow to further the cause of the kingdom of Christ. And that leads to the fourth thing. This means ruler of the kingdom of the earth stands for accountability. Every king is under King Jesus and will one day have to answer to him and give an account for, to him for what they did and how they ruled in this world. And above all, what they did with the blood of all his saints, for their blood is precious in his sight, we sang Psalm 72. Zechariah 2 says that to King Jesus, the church is the apple of his eye, and he who touches you, Jesus says to his church, touches the apple of my eye, and I will rush, I will rise, and I will rush to your defense. And every ruler on this earth will have to answer to how he used his mandate, her mandate, to rule the citizens of the country, and particularly how he treated the people of Christ. You're precious in his sight, beloved. You're precious in his sight. And it might seem like you're just a pawn in the hand of a maniac who hates you. Certainly, for our persecuted brethren around the world, that's how it looks, that how it's, that's how it feels. It is not true. You're the precious possession of the ruler of the kings of the earth and how the rulers on earth treat you, they'll have to give an answer to him. But it's not gonna take away your place in the kingdom of Christ. Whatever they do to you will advance, will advance your salvation because God works for the good of all, all things for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose. Fifthly, it stands for victory. Victory, ruler of the kings on the earth. The whole Bible speaks of this major war that's happening through history, especially the book of Revelation. It's not a war between nations, between countries, between tribes of the earth, those are, there are plenty of those wars. It's a war between the kingdoms of this world against the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Who's going to win? Which kingdom is going to overcome all the others? It's the kingdom of the ruler of the kings on the earth. And they're being put a notice here at the book of, beginning of the book of Revelation. Watch out, your day is coming. When the kingdom of God will smash the kingdoms of this earth and destroy them. And the kingdom of God, ruled by Christ, will take over completely. Crowns and thrones may perish. Kingdoms rise and wane. But the church of Jesus constant will remain. Christ shall have dominion over land and sea. Earth's remotest regions shall his empire be. Later as you get 
through the book of Revelation to chapter 11, verse 15. We read, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, listen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's taken over. And I think of that vision in the book of Daniel with this image of empires, head of gold, chest of of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs and feet of iron mixed with clay, kingdoms of this world. It's an image that people worship. But a stone not cut by human hands, sent down from God, got free from a mountain, rolled down, smashed into that image, pulverized it, and then grew until it became a mountain that filled the whole earth. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him? He's the winner. You're on the winning side. And those who trust in him can be assured that one day None of the kingdoms of this world will remain, only the kingdom of Christ, and God will be all in all. Sometimes what you do here for Christ seems to count for nothing because the world just smashes everything work you do and throws it into the garbage and it comes to nothing. That's what it can look like. No, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You're Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Their deeds shall follow them, says the Bible. Nothing you do for Christ will be lost. God will use it to advance his kingdom and one day to set up a new kingdom, heaven on earth. Do not be afraid to serve this ruler of the kings of the earth because he'll take every deed in your family, in your workplace, Every deed, every prayer, every deed in your nation that is done for Christ, and he'll use it all. He'll use it all. None of it will go to waste. And one last thing. Ruler of the kings of the earth stands not only for Christ's preeminence, our call to give him absolute allegiance, his sovereignty, as he rules over all, everyone's accountability to him as rulers of the earth, his ultimate victory over all, it stands finally for comfort. It's a word of comfort. For believers living in harsh circumstances, facing trial, sickness, persecution, and death, You belong to Jesus Christ. The faithful witness means he's the ultimate truth. He never lies. Whatever he says comes true. The firstborn from the dead. He rose from the dead in glory. As the first, the head of the church of the resurrection. And you will follow him in that. And as the ruler of the kings on earth. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. 
You're his chosen treasure, the apple of his eye, and nothing, says the book of Isaiah, nothing that comes against you can succeed. The ruler of the kings of the earth owned you, dear believer. You're not owned by the prime minister. You're not owned by your employer. You're not owned by the bank. You're not owned by your sickness. When you die, not even death owns you. Jesus does. Jesus does. And that leads us to consider thirdly how this comforts us. Look at the broader sentence of Revelation 1, 4, 5, and 6. Ruler of the kings on earth. Actually, it's and from Jesus Christ. The firstborn or the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. What from Jesus Christ? Back to verse 4. John, to the seven churches of Asia Minor, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings on the earth. This ruler is your savior. This king is your friend. And he's filled with grace and peace for his people. King of kings and Lord of lords holds the seven churches of Asia Minor. That's the fullness of the church in this whole age in his almighty hand. And he's got you covered. Whatever the tribulation, the fight, the threats, the intimidations, the worries about what the emperor is going to do next, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, you have my grace and you have my peace. You have my grace, access to my grace to help you in time of need. Grace, we can list a few things. You have a king and a high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses. Go to him. He'll more than supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You have a friend who goes with you through the water so they will not overflow you and through the fire so that they will not burn you. You have a savior who loves you, has freed you from your sins with his blood and made you a kingdom and priest to his God and father. You have constant forgiveness. Fourth, you have a refuge who will keep you safe so that whatever comes at you will not come near you. Whatever attacks you will not destroy you. Then you see the 144,000 sealed with the seal of the living God so that whatever comes on the earth will not touch them. And that 144,000 stands as a symbolic number for the full number of the elect the whole church of God through all ages. He's put his seal on you, beloved. And whatever is hurled on the earth will not take you down. He will keep you to the end. 
His grace is sufficient for you. So draw near to his throne of grace constantly and in every trial. Receive his grace that's sufficient for you and your need and that grace will bring you to victory. He's always there for you. Grace. Secondly, peace. In him you have that miracle peace that passes all understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus so that your heart can be still when the waters roar and foam and you can say with Psalm 46, therefore we will not fear for God is with us. And you can know that this journey will end well. Whatever winding ways God takes you, I remember that plaque on on Evander Hayden's wall, written in Dutch, but in English it was, he has not promised us an easy journey, but he has promised us a safe arrival. For those of you who don't know, that's Sue Bork's mother. You can know that it will end well because Jesus is your shelter, and you can say he will keep me to the end. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Brothers and sisters, worthy is the lamb to receive your trust, worship, and daily confidence because he's the faithful witness, because he's the firstborn from the dead, and because he is the ruler of the kings on earth. Will you trust him today and tomorrow and the rest of your life? He's got you. He's got you. You're safe. It is well. Amen. Let's pray. Give us faith, Lord God, Holy Spirit, to rest in the arms of our almighty King and High Priest, Jesus Christ. To see this title, ruler of the kings of the earth, and be immensely comforted that Caesar is not Lord. He does not own me nor does any other tribulation or famine or nakedness or sword. No, in all things, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. So give us faith that we might boldly approach the throne of grace to receive what we need in our time of need. And fill us and bless us and strengthen us to walk in courage, in confidence and humility before the Lord. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.